This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey guys, this is Brandon Fan. Be sure to check out 80.LV's articles this week as you're listening to our podcast episode. Uh, they have awesome articles that should be highlighted in your daily news. From Primitives to Finished Environment, Zoran Petrovic talked about the way he created a very new 3D environment for the Art Station contest. Also, there are Fast and effective production of 3D weapons. Bartek Norak discussed some of the cool techniques he's used during the production of this wonderful, complex 3D weapons. So there are plenty more uh, to look at. So be sure to give them a like. Let them know what you think. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is that time. Thank you for watching or listening to this podcast. It's Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team, the number one podcast for the lifestyle of video game developers, true stories, gossip, news, etc. And this week, I have the very first person to ever follow Tom on MySpace, helping me host the podcast, Mr. Brandon Fam. Hey, what's up, everybody? Tom doesn't talk to me anymore. That's weird. But someone that will be talking to us this week, our special guest, Will Armstrong. How you doing, Will? Hey, Will. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast this week. Really appreciate it. Oh, hopefully that still remains the same by the end of the podcast. So this is the (laughs) part of the podcast where we ask about your resume. So anything that you want to tell us about your past life, uh, this is the time to introduce yourself to our audience. Okay, uh, I'll go in order because uh, the most relevant stuff is last, so let's do that. Yeah. Uh, I started out in the game industry quite a while ago, like 12 years ago, working at Vicarious Visions on the Sam Raimi Spider-Man 3 movie tie-in game. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was PlayStation 2, yes, right? Yeah. 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 I remember that. <laughs> I So do I. <laughs> <laughs> I think that may be the end of it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, after that, I went over to LucasArts, worked on the Indiana Jones game that never came out. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, that, too. Real tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> and I worked with Brandon at 2K on Bioshock 2, Minerva's Den, awesome. Bureau. Uh, and I said, screw it. Decided to go indie. Uh, was lead programmer on a little game called Firewatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then immediately said, screw it. I'm not indie. And joined <laughs> Unity. <laughs> that is a very interesting road that you took, man. Most people are trying to go uh, indie, and you went indie, had Firewatch, and you're like, screw it, going to the Unity. <laughs> I just couldn't do the uh, uh, the instability. I like right. the sort of, you know, mm-hmm. I, I really like having health insurance, right. as it turns out. Right. Um, I loved my experience working on Firewatch. It was a great time. Um, I made a great game. Mm-hmm. I'm super proud of it. I was able to put a ton of myself into that game, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Um, and then at the end of the day though, it was like, all right, I need something a little more stable. Mm-hmm. You know, my financial situation had changed a little bit. So it's like, all right, going to go to the mothership. Yeah. Uh, I had spent two years working in unity, mm-hmm. pushing sort of the engine 
quite a bit. Um, mm. I really enjoyed it. And then I had an opportunity to start at Unity and help other people make games like Firewatch. Nice. Uh, which, rather than, you know, help, like, what, 14 other people okay. make Firewatch, I can help, like, thousands of people make whatever it is they're trying to make mm-hmm. in Unity. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Awesome, man. You made the right choice. So I think, <laughs> See, the, the, uh, honestly, like the next game from Campo Santa is gonna be it's it's gonna be pretty cool. Yeah, like, Tacoma looks great. Group of people, yeah, Tacoma looks great. Uh, you know, there's a lot of really cool stuff coming out of indie games right now. So I'm I'm definitely always jealous of the other side. <laughs> well, the the only reason I said you made the right choice is I simply was looking at it from the who do I help yeah yes. point of view, and so knowing that lots of people get to directly benefit off your contributions. Uh, I'm a humanitarian. I believe that like that's an awesome thing, and you get paid for it, so that's uh, a win-win. Exactly. Right? <laughs> it's a win-win. I get to give back to the community and also seriously get. Uh, it's not too bad. Yeah. Well, a little background. Of course, we we met. Uh, you know, Larry and I made a visit to the Unity office, and uh, you know, one of the teams that we met was your team, the Spotlight team, which yeah. is coincidentally uh, a little friend called Ray works there on that team <laughs> as well. Uh, but if Ray hasn't, have we ever asked Ray what the Spotlight team was? If we never went oh, over it, sure. why don't you, uh, if you don't mind, talk about what you yeah. uh, do at Unity? Yeah, sure. So Spotlight Team is a bunch of uh, console game industry veterans that all work inside of Unity now and try to find the biggest, most ambitious Unity games that are being made out there uh, and sort of help them make the best game they can make. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we serve two purposes. One is to just make Unity look good by making all of the people we help's games look good. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the other purpose is to take the lessons that we learn making these big, ambitious console games back into Unity itself. You know, most of our customers are uh, smaller indie games or mobile games. So it's really, really important for us to have users that are you know, sort of stress testing the engine in ways that uh, most of our users aren't. So as we sort of learn the problems that they're having, we can serve as sort of a conscience to the rest of Unity to... Uh, really get them to pay attention to the problems mm. that people are having trying to get really cool games. Right, right, right. Yeah, the one thing about Unity and I, I'm I fall victim. Well, I, I'm I'm guilty of this. Is that it has been deceivingly uh, associated with small titles for a while. I mean, it, the the growth has exponentially been crazy the last few years. Uh, obviously. But like what I liked about the Spotlight team is like, no, let's shine a light to the big games out there that are actually using Unity. And one of the biggest problems is like the Unity logo is completely optional, right? That we were talking about well, before. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not completely optional. Oh, okay. If you're a tiny team yeah. who is not paying right. uh, and doesn't necessarily, you know, like you're a student team yeah. or maybe it's your first game you ever made you can't really afford an engine out of the door right. you can't afford a team so you're probably going to be grabbing a bunch of stuff out of the asset store right. like those people have to put the made with unity logo in front of their right. game so see the made with unity logo game the next thing that happens is going to be something really you know experimental and something right. really cool or right. something really fun but it's not necessarily going to be something really polished or something really ambitious exactly. uh and then those of us that have made really ambitious games in unity we paid so we don't have to put right. the made with unity logo like I mean, you know, one of the 
like one of the more contentious sticking points that we keep having in negotiations as the spotlight team is one of the deals is you got to say that you've made your game on it's unity smart, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's shockingly it's shockingly difficult to get people to uh to put that in front of their game which i get i mean like you know firewatch we didn't want any logos in front of we wanted it to just like this be us, the main menu yeah. be the vista yeah. the second you booted it up for artistic reasons so like i understand that tension there but uh yeah, we need to get the word out on what is actually made with Unity. Because, like, you know, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but if you've seen the the drone game, like D R O N E, all uh, it's an acronym. Yeah, they just announced they're made with Unity. That game is gorgeous. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, Tacoma's made with Unity. Record's made with Unity. Like, there's there's a lot of really like Subnautica's made with Unity. There's a lot of very ambitious, very big games out there. It's just not obvious, you yeah. know. Yeah. Do you think you'll ever get to a point where people will be more interested in sharing the branding? Like, will we have an opportunity, like, to see, like, oh man, I really need to say that this is made in Unity. Do you ever see a switch coming? Um, I think it's going to be difficult to come back from where we're at mm-hmm. currently. Um, I mean, you know, so the only like you don't see made with lumberyard in front of a lot of games. Right. Yeah, um, you don't see. <laughs> I don't know a lot of games made in lumberyard. <laughs> it's the name, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, you don't you don't necessarily see like the RPG maker or game maker right, logo right. in front of games that are made with these. Uh, really, the only engine that has done that branding really strongly is Unreal, mm-hmm. and they did it because it went the other way. They were an engine that was made to make specific games yeah. first. Like, you know, the Unreal Engine is from Unreal Tournament, right. which everybody loved. Yeah. Like, we all played Unreal Tournament when we were in college, learning how to make video games. Mm-hmm. So. That's you know it, it's a it's a uh, a difficult view to come back from. Uh, that being said, as we build up a stable of people that cut their teeth making Unity games, and if we yeah. can grow the engine with those people and their ambitions, I think that yeah we can probably earn that same goodwill. But it's 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 a much longer term process. Uh, well, then let me ask you this, and you may not be the best person to answer, but you can probably take a better stab at it than I can. Uh, would you guys ever consider like, hey, you know, this developer is making really cool stuff with our software, and we do want to encourage them to use Made with Unity. So is Unity, have they ever been known to like broker deals between like, hey, we'll give you, everyone gets a free seat Unity Pro because we know that your game is legit. We've seen what you've done in the past. Like, d- does that kind of stuff happen with Unity? Is that commonplace or no? It's not commonplace, but it does happen. We do have different deals with different groups. You know, gotcha. some people want source access, and we come, you know, figure out a cut, how to cut a deal for them, mm, or nice. they want some of our, you know, more pro features, and we can cut a deal with them. They want some of our seats. Uh, Spotlight is, you know, I mean, getting, you know, four engineers on your project for free yeah. uh, is kind of a big deal, and all we ask is that you put the Unity logo in front of it and maybe help us out, write a blog post or two. So oh, that's awesome. You know, part of that initiative so yes there are definitely deals that get cut there um there's not really a you know a a consistent path through the bureaucracy yet we're still trying (laughs) to figure out the best way to make that work and how we choose product projects and how projects choose us and how we find each other Mm -hmm. but uh it's definitely something we're interested in moving forward okay so there are like a lot of things and you guys are dealing with a lot of like console developers or at least like traditionally AAA developers who are using unity either for a while or at least 
for the first time. Like I, the transition has always been tough learning a new thing, at least if you're used to Unreal for your whole career, right? And then suddenly your team wants to use Unity. Speaking of just talking about um, putting the Made with Unity logo and having some resistance to that, like have you faced resistance to suggestions from the Unity team to these guys <laughs> and what kind of things have come up a lot? Uh, yeah, I mean, we definitely get people that are used to working a certain way and don't want to sort of do things the Unity way. Um, it is kind of nice that uh, it's more or less always whatever the last engine they were using was. So, you know, the teams we worked with that are, work, worked with that are used to working in their homebrewed engines, mm-hmm. they are used to dealing, you know, doing things that way. And people used to work in Unreal, they're used to doing things the Unreal way. And like, it's just, it's the same resistance right. everywhere. It's not like we're doing something significantly worse than the competitors. It's just like, yeah, you're used to what you're used right. to. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the biggest hurdle that we have with every team is figuring out how to get lots of people working on the same Unity project in the same Unity scenes at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Um, the multi-scene editing is relatively new in terms of Unity. Um, so there's a, not a lot of community knowledge about best practices out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, every project we work with has some different and not always optimal setup mm-hmm. for how they load in scenes. Uh, there's a lot of weird kludgy workarounds. A lot of people you know, spawn everything from prefabs mm-hmm. and try to keep everything out of scene data as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Other teams put everything in one big scene and there's only one person that knows how to navigate mm-hmm. it. Uh, it's really all over the map. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest like single hurdle that we are still facing is just mm-hmm. general scene and project setup. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people get really mad that they have to spend money to put in <laughs> like a uh, visual scripting solution yeah. uh, or like a shader editor mm-hmm. like those are those, very those used to two things, we yeah. Get. yeah they're just used to unreal coming with you know blueprint and, and all that stuff it's, it's a shader for and with things. that pricing model like well you know hey you could just <laughs> spend that hundred bucks with us and then not have to pay us on the back end or right. you can <laughs> it's way cheaper to buy yeah. <laughs> you know third party yeah, amplify shader or whatever on uh, on the asset store than it is to give five percent of your game. Yeah. Well, what about off the top? What about your personal experience? So, I mean, I'm I'm guessing you, at least since 2K, right? We were very heavily Unreal focused type of studio. Like, you're probably more open to it than I was at first. Um, how was that transition going? Um. Well, so that transition was really interesting because i didn't just transition between uh unreal and unity i also transitioned from being a gameplay programmer right. with a really narrow focus on like player systems to being the only programmer <laughs> with no focus whatsoever yeah. i was responsible i was the it guy the perforce admin the build engineer everything i was the only programmer uh yeah so it's it, it very, very so you're telling the team how to be like optimizing <laughs> content and they don't listen to you all right i got you you're perfect for this job it was it was was a very it's a very interesting transition in a lot of different ways but so this is kind of half a joke and half serious the way i the way i sort of talk about it is 
if you have zero programmers, like nobody, no programmers whatsoever, yeah. uh, and then you know maybe Unreal is the right, right engine for you. Maybe that's an easy transition. And if you have like a team of programmers, like 10, 20 programmers that are willing to like figure out how to get a building and be able to really modify the source code and figure out your build systems and you know really get in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Unreal is pretty good right now too. And if you have kind of anything in between those numbers, like if you're at the one programmer on a project, mm-hmm. the transition to Unity is actually really, really nice mm-hmm. because there's just a lot of code you can't touch. Mm-hmm. So you just have to figure out how to work with it. Right. And you can't dig yourself a grave. Right. You know, like when you're when you're a small team with big ambitions, the biggest problem, like the, the easiest way you can get screwed up is by just starting to reinvent the wheel mm-hmm. you know like oh i don't like the way this little thing works so i'm just going to change it mm-hmm. and i'm not gonna i'm you know and then six months down the road that's gonna bite me in the ass right. um that doesn't happen a ton with unity i mean it does you know it does right but it, it you can it's easier to dig yourself out of the holes you can do yourself into without source access right. without being able to really just start going hog wild on the engine um and that's sort of like treating my game engine as a piece of software right. Mm-hmm. You know, like Photoshop or anything else, uh, as opposed to 10 million lines of code that I'm suddenly required to maintain right. and understand, is a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways. You know, mm-hmm. six months before we shipped Firewatch, I would have actually killed somebody for source access right. just to be able to like change fix the little tiny specific, oh, I just need this to be a little different to ship. Right, right. Yeah. Well, what I wanted to know is uh, kind of talking about how you transitioned out of going indie, where I imagine you have a lot of freedom and a lot of opportunity to express things that you're interested in or to work specifically where you said, I put a lot of myself into the game, you know, uh, now working on the spotlight team, do you feel like you get at least some of that kind of feeling back by being able to work on project to project to project or? It's not the same. Um, I feel like I can put a lot of more of myself out in the community, mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to blog post, like you know, blog posts, and I had the opportunity to talk at Unite, and I had the uh, opportunity to do podcasts like this one, which is awesome. Hey, um, it's being kind, and <laughs> I have like an opportunity to influence the sort of you know community and knowledge in a way right. that I never did before. Right. But in terms of just like getting my creative vision out there, mm. not really. I'm coming into team. I'm coming into projects with a very specific focus. Like gotcha. these are teams that are trying to ship or trying to build, start a game and they need to know best practices. They don't need to know, you know, how I feel about head bob. It's not <laughs> something that like, that's, not, you know, that's not the service Why we provide. Like, VR guys, come on. All right, whatever. Do, 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 do any of you guys like slip back into dev mode where you start? <laughs> just, you know just let me do it, guys. Come on. I, I will. I will admit that like I, almost every team we work with, I send one email. Yeah. Like I try to yeah. limit myself to one email, where it's like, hey, here's a bunch of technical fixes for you, and also here's a bunch of maybe you know, gameplay things that you gameplay playery like yeah. just you know. It's just opinions, just opinions. Yeah. Um, but no, we try to we keep it very professional, and, and we try to limit that to suggestions. Yeah. Um, you know, if any of the teams ask my opinion, they're going to get an earful. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> unleashing the beast. But I, yeah, I, I try to I try to hold back until uh, until it's uh, requested of me. Gotcha. And my next question for you is, uh, do you recall one project that you were on for Spotlight that was your favorite to work on? 
uh, that's public i can i should say oh man uh honestly like the shadow tactics game mm-hmm. i don't know if you've had a chance to check that out We're googling it now uh so shadow tactics uh had already come out on pc by the time we started working with them and it's a odd based real-time samurai real-time samurai stealth action game and it's just really really good um and the team uh mimimi studios out in germany uh it's just really really easy to work with Mm -hmm. they took advice really well they um gives a lot of feedback uh there's a couple other teams that i can't talk about Mm -hmm. that are also like that we're still in the process of working with they're great um (laughs) They've been taking our advice really, really well. Um, we helped out a little bit on Tacoma that just shipped. Yeah. Um, and Shout those, out. I mean, you know, I, yeah, I know all those guys from back in the day, so that that was easy. Uh, it's, you know, when you're like in a personal Slack with half the dev team, it makes it really easy to communicate with them. Yeah, you're yeah, just yeah. like, hey, fix this, please, and do this, and do this, and do this. I mean, where there's situations, uh, I'm sure you gotta have to peel the onion a bit. You know, you, you know, Slack is the ultimate access, but I'm sure it's like, ah, hey, help us with this little thing over here. Why don't you guys? Oh, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. I mean, like the communicate the communication between the different teams varies. I mean, you know, so working with Mimi, me, they were out in Germany, mm-hmm. um, so there's you know the huge time lag. Right. Uh, I was sent out to go help with a game in Korea Ooh, not that long ago, there you go. and none of the dev or not most of the dev team spoke english so like that's oh. you know like i had to fly to korea and then i'm like speaking through a translate like a series of translators oh and meeting room and, like, that's tough and oh, you know man. they're they're very protective of their uh ip right. so they don't want to you know, we can't talk about it and we can't like take their code into our office and then like you know i still help out the campo guys every now and again yeah. with you know whatever they're they're playing around with next and like you know, I I was the Perforce admin at that company, so like I have access to all their stuff. Like I can just go look at their code. It's fine. Like they're not they're not secretive at all. So you know, there's this huge range of like personal friend that I see frequently and yeah. company on the <laughs> other side of the world where I have to speak through a translator. Um, and it's really great that that's the range of experiences that I have on a day to day basis. I've played the telephone game with people who speak English and it was terrible. So I can't imagine <laughs> a translator trying to like talk game dev speak. <laughs> yeah. it actually, it actually worked out shockingly well. Wow. Uh, what I found is that like by the end of every sort of chunk of the meeting, mm-hmm. uh, we would have lapsed into such heavy unity jargon that the translator was kind of unnecessary right. because, you know, scene file is scene file in every yeah. language yeah. prefab is prefab right. in every language and you know at some point you're just like that's just unity jargon and then connecting words and you're like mm-hmm. okay I, I probably know what the connecting words mm-hmm. were yeah. i'm sure the translator left that good one. bad <laughs> <laughs> i'm just sitting there being useless reminds me, the, <laughs> reminds me of the clip there's the lady who didn't speak the language of the translators uh, so it's a comedy clip but she's like uh, terrible segue. <laughs> so, what, what what's roughly these these larger team sizes uh, that you work for, working with? Oh, the, it ranges. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I think the smallest team we've worked with is probably in the 10, 10 15 range. Right. But you know, mm-hmm. an ambitious console game, so right. sort of something like a Tacoma or a Firewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the biggest teams we've worked with are. 
I mean, depending on how you count 50 or 100, right. yeah. like, you know, like do how, how you count contractors and stuff. Like right, that. right, right, right. Yeah, it's the reason I think it's a good question. Thank you, Brandon, for throwing that out there is one of the things I was interested in talking to you about is what's, I guess, Unity's perspective on, you know, working with like AAA level game development. You know, I've seen the Atom demo, the Blacksmith demo. You guys are showing that the engine has a capability. Your real-time rendering is there, you know? So are, are you guys looking for like, hey, you know, uh, come make a game with our engine, you know, Sucker Punch or, you know, some yeah. other company? Like, are you guys, is that part of the plan at all? Can you say? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely part of the plan. And we do have a lot of uh, partners that are already in that space. You know, mm -hmm. right now they're mostly doing their more mobile focused games i mean you know like mm. i mean hearthstone yeah yeah oh well, of course that's right. a yep pokemon go mario run like the lab. there's a lot of big triple a studios out there that are getting used to working in unity and you know they're they're dipping their toe in the water uh most triple a studios at this point have their own internal tech right yeah. uh we're never going to be able to beat something that you have 50 engineers working to make exactly what you know like sure we're, yeah. we're not going to convince naughty dog that they should make the next <laughs> uncharted in unity like that's not going to happen um but no we're, we're getting a lot of pickup in in triple a space um we're still waiting for that you know mm. awesome triple a console game to come out in unity mm -hmm. um but i think it's just a matter of time till it happens we've got a we got a couple of workflow issues that mm -hmm you know, are sort of limiting right now. Right. The the scene flow stuff that we we're talking about, nested prefabs being mm -hmm. the elephant in every room. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> Yeah, nested prefabs, I remember the discussion. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, and we <laughs> right. We get we get like a you know, we get a few of those things uh fixed and sorted out. We get a few workflow issues sorted out. We get some scaling issues sorted out, um, distributed lighting builds, things like that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think we're gonna see AAA teams start to pick it up. Um, well, what's it? We're, we're working very hard to make it so that it's a thing that they can do. Uh, you brought up two games in your answer, uh, Pokemon Go. You know what I mean? Like one of the two, huge game. Like huge. if you look at the revenue, there's no way that anyone would say that this isn't a big production. It's games as a service. They're releasing new content, like real geos events. Like it's, I'm just watching this game's uh, trajectory grow and fall and grow and fall, but the amount of revenue that this product made, it's like, why would I invest $300 million into a game in the first place? Mm -hmm. Right? Like I'm now yeah. starting to wonder about the place for AAA gaming. Mm -hmm. Like, are we, is that going to be something that I'm going to see 10 years from now? I ask this because I see a lot of customers being introduced to games through their mobile devices, through their iPads, through their computers and web browsers. And by the time they hit 16, they would have been playing Angry Birds, Pokemon Go, you know, Clash Royale, Clash of Clans type stuff their whole gaming life. Yeah. Why are they going to go spend 60 bucks on a game when they've been having fun playing games for roughly free and maybe 99 cents here and there? So, I mean, I think we're already seeing that, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and I, the way I, I talk about it is uh, the same way I kind of think about the film industry. Like, people have been saying that movie theaters are going to be dead for decades now mm -hmm. uh and that hasn't happened not only are movie theaters not dead they're more expensive yeah <laughs> they did 3d they've got imax yeah. like uh all the theaters in san francisco you can get cocktails or food yeah. and you know so now going to the movies instead of like when i was a you know when i was a kid it was like five bucks to go to the movies during the middle of the day mm -hmm. and now i'm going to the movies and it's a 13 dollar ticket right. no matter when i go right. and then it's 40 dollars and 
drinks Ooh. on top of that. And like, but people are still going to the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. problem is they're not going to go see as many movies, and the ones that are have to be surefire things. Yeah. So yeah. you get you know, the Marvel movies, which I love, but the fact that it's like the only yeah, movies yeah. I really go see in the theaters now is kind of depressing, yeah. and I just yeah. wait for everything else to hit Netflix or whatever. Um, I think video games are probably well on that same trajectory. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're Call of Duty, yeah, absolutely. People are going to spend 60, 90 bucks. They're going to pre-order. They're going to buy the Clayton's edition. And then they're going to buy loot packs and what have you on top of that. Right. I was just going to say Call of Duty is like you pay the 60 bucks to start paying for the game. Because right. you got the DLC. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like I was yeah. thinking about this. I was like, you really do have to shell out the money. Yeah. I mean, I just pre-ordered Destiny 2, and, like, I know I'm going to end up spending a crap load of money on that stupid, like, that. <laughs> and I love that game, but it's also just, like, yeah. it's a money you know, you know what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. There's, you know, it means, like, games like Zelda Breath of the Wild, Horizon Zero Dawn, where they're just amazing experiences. And there's mm-hmm. huge, like, you know, 15-course meals of video games mm-hmm. that you're willing, you get excited about ahead of time, you pre-order you wait in line you spend a ton of money and it's sort of this big event but yeah i think the day-to-day gaming most of the money people are going to spend most of the hours people are going to spend playing games are probably going to be the smaller games the games yeah. of service um, i guess and then i'm really hoping that we can figure out some way to make like the 10 15 two hour to six hour cohesive experience game have a marketplace as well mm-hmm. like you know this sort of like hbo buy it on yeah. itunes model mm-hmm. i'm really hoping we can make that work as well but uh yeah i would i would really like to see that level of like the middleware stuff coming back at not middleware in the sense that you use this to help make your game but i call it middleware as in AAA was always like 60 dollars to me and then ios mobile indie kind of had the like you know zero to five dollar market when I say when I'm saying middleware in the sense of games, it's like remember the original PlayStation where you could get the SquareSoft 49.99 game, but then you could also get like Bowling Revenge mm-hmm. 15 bucks, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It's like that kind of stuff. It's like I feel like I would love to see that on the console, like it is for Steam on PC. Steam sells yep. everything, yep. but I feel like I really wish consoles would really support the indie markets and push those games right alongside of other good games depending on your taste and i bet you a lot more people would support and you know show patronage and i think we're getting there to a degree um like sony has been really good um mm-hmm. microsoft has has really stepped up lately mm-hmm. um cuphead oh yeah Tacoma. cannot wait uh, yeah the you know, the console games console games are getting there and as they move to digital distribution i think that's getting a lot better yeah. Mm-hmm. but yeah you're right we got a long way to go there um yeah we kind of refer to that jokingly as like triple i triple i yeah yeah is the like indie game but not really indie like mm-hmm. you know like firewatch we had we worked with panic they gave us a bunch of money we weren't independent in any mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. definition of the word independent right. we had a pr- publisher right 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 <laughs> But we didn't have two hundred and fifty million dollars. Right. We didn't yeah. have we didn't have yeah. like that kind of publisher. Yeah, if someone else gave you the money, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's triple I. <laughs> right. Like, if you had a budget, it doesn't necessarily budget. matter where it came from. But like yeah. you weren't, you know, like gone home. 
was Indy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gone home, they were starving in the basement in Portland. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> Tacoma, it's more of a sort of triple I, big Indy. Right. Like they had money from the last right, game. Right. Yeah. And money yeah. from the last game is still money. Uh, same with like uh, uh, Transistor and Pyro, right? right? Mm -hmm. you know, they, they were making money off last one. They had a budget. Right. They were able to pay themselves and eat and have health insurance and live comfortably while producing the video game. Yeah. Uh, which is the dream? Yeah. So you get your shit together. Uh, you're you're triple I. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I've got a a little game that I've designed. Uh, since you're a part of the spotlight team, I'm hoping that you can play test it with me with the podcast audience. Do you mind? Yeah, not at all. All right. So this game is called The Fast Five. It's where I'm going to ask you five rapid fire questions, and we're looking for five rapid fire answers. Okay. All right. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Question number one. What was the best Spider-Man movie? Oh, the best Spider-Man movie is the most recent Spider-Man movie, oh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. Homecoming. I fucking love Spider-Man 2, but... This one's winning it, yeah. Homecoming is so good. It's so good. Uh, Tom Holland is just amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, I just... The, just making the game, the movie an actual, like, high school movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. was a very smart choice, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's really, really good. So not in, this isn't included in the Fast Five, but you did mention Tom Holland. Did you see his Rihanna performance of Umbrella? I did see his Rihanna performance. Holy shit. He was fucking amazing. Holy shit, man. That, du that dude is committed yeah. and <laughs> talented. Yeah. What the fuck? All right, back into the Fast Five. Uh, what was the best movie-based game? Oh, best movie-based game. That's actually uh, probably Alien. One of the Alien games. Which one? One of them. <laughs> um, you got to be careful with which one, man. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, so my favorite of the Alien games was like the Alien 3 Super Nintendo game, uh, like the Metroidvania. Okay. Just like the really fucking hard Alien Metroidvania. Mm -hmm. um, alien Isolation is great for like, two hours yeah. and then i just like couldn't do it anymore yeah, um, yeah. So, I'm, yeah. Gl I'm glad you clarified i was gonna say you could be stepping on a gold mine or a landmine if you just say aliens so. <laughs> yep all right uh next one is what's the worst movie-based game Ooh, worst movie-based game um i mean spider-man 3 is up there uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh worst movie-based game um Let's see. I'm actually going to throw my buddy Mark under the bus yeah. and say oh, it's probably yeah. the Fantastic Four game. Yeah, we know that. Colin, Colin um, worked on that too. As did my my boss John. So I really probably shouldn't say this kind of thing. But um, they know. They know. They know. They know. Uh, that they just didn't have a lot to work with. Mm. Uh, yeah. To be fair, the movie's not very good. Yeah. It still um, ain't good. They're like trying to yeah. resurrect that thing like crazy. Next question for you. What was the hardest question you remember on a programming test? Ooh, hardest question I remember on a programming test. Um, oh, yeah. So this is this is this one was irritating because the question is not that difficult, honestly. Mm, okay. uh, it was you've got like a maze that's a uh, undirected graph and you're trying to like come up with a path from where you're at to a specific enemy, right? Mm -hmm. And so you've got this just graph of rooms, and it's this is not that difficult of a problem. Uh, the problem was that the interviewer was looking for me to say the word Q. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I generated a Q, 
and then like generated like a a, a, a tree navigation algorithm. I just never mm-hmm. said the word Q, so they kept like asking me. <laughs> rhymes with just, you like, right it just like confused the hell out of me because i was like yeah. i the question has been answered so i don't know yeah. what more, like it was just this really awkward yeah. like staring contest uh, you know honestly yeah. that leads me to believe that they didn't know they what didn't they were know. doing right like it's, I, <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's just when you're you've got a grading rubric on that's rubric on that stuff because you mm-hmm. want to grade everybody consistently mm-hmm. uh and if you like it's very easy as somebody that's giving one of those uh tests to like get focused on those check boxes mm-hmm. you're like mm-hmm. oh this guy's clearly is answering he, he's, he knows something mm-hmm. yeah but i'm not getting my i can't make the check check mark yeah. and it's just and you know it's just bureaucracy um all right and last question for you still programming related if you had to stick to one programming language for the rest of your game development career like even if other programmers move on or things evolve you have to ride one language for the rest of your career which one do you think would give you the most longevity oh c++ for sure um i love working in c sharp i'm so glad that i kind of have uh that like i got to take a couple years off from working in c++ all the Mm -hmm. time but C++ has been around forever. It will be around forever. There will never be a replacement. You will never be able to be faster than C++. Mm-hmm. Like, it's <laughs> it's just... Mark, it, dude, yeah. mark my words, I'm going to send you this podcast 10 years from now, and you're going to be like, holy shit, man. Yep, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, please, please let me be wrong on this. No. C++ is a miserable language to work with. <laughs> it's going to be C++. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, okay, sure. No, I'm just, I'm just messing with <laughs> well, I took C++ a little C++. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, being around forever, you were, uh, <laughs> you've been in the industry for about 12 years now. And yep. uh, you're kind of special, man. You've kind of been uh, doing it all. You've worked at Chipotle, you played with Fire a bit, working in Indie, and now you're went straight to the source and working at an engine company. Like, how was your experience how how would you compare it like if for for the people who are interested in going either or right yeah well i mean it's all really different mm-hmm. so like when i was working for AAA, i like crunch is real you have mm-hmm. endless meetings that waste your time <laughs> you have uh, yeah you know, you have a huge team that you have to work with, which is both good and bad. Right. And if you've got a team that works great together, it's great. And if you've got a team that doesn't work together well, it's really frustrating. Right. Um, it's very easy to have your creative voice amplified by everybody. It's also really easy to have your creative voice drowned out entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's never really quite in your control. Right. Also, like, good teams get on bad projects. Yeah. Like, the Indiana Jones project that I worked on at LucasArts mm-hmm. was some of the most talented people I've ever worked mm-hmm. with and some of the best code I've ever written none of that will ever see the light mm-hmm. of day um and then i went on to at 2k like the bioshock team was amazing mm-hmm. amazing everybody on the team is still friends everybody will still do favors for each other everybody tries to work with each other at every opportunity mm-hmm. um but that team didn't go on to make anything mm-hmm. else that was anywhere near as good and that wasn't because the team changed you know parts of it did but mm-hmm. uh you know there's there's a lot like of corporate oversight mm-hmm. and you just get on weird projects so like the opportunity to make something truly outstanding mm-hmm. uh exists in triple a like it doesn't exist anywhere else mm-hmm. um 
but it's risky and you have to put up with a lot of sort of I don't know bullshit to kind of get there. Right. Yeah. Um, indie, you have to be way less ambitious. You don't have a hundred artists backing you up. Mm-hmm. You don't have twenty other programmers to hash out problems with. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make huge change to the game, but at the same time, you have to make everything on the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of freedom, it's great. In terms of responsibility, it's immense. And while you don't have a producer telling you you have to come in on Sunday, mm-hmm. you, you have a you know perforce server that goes down on a Sunday, yeah. and you're the only person that can fix it. The bank it. account tells you um, to go in on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. Uh, I didn't work a lot of seven-day weeks mm-hmm. on Firewatch. I did work a whole lot of six-day weeks and a lot of long nights. Mm-hmm. It was not as many as I worked on Spider-Man, right. um, but it was a lot. The... And then the tech company thing is completely different entirely. Mm. Like Unity is a technology company first and foremost. Um, we're not competing with to hire people mm. with Activision or EA. We're competing to hire people with Google and Apple. So oh, wow. that means we get free lunch and we get the ridiculous, you know, benefits. Mm-hmm. And we have a really good work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And it's just really nice. It's a whole nother level. Um, yeah, it's a completely different thing. Um, when you're not starving, when, you know, when you're when you're not like in AAA, if your game fails, yeah. your studio closes. Yeah. Yeah. If you're an indie, if your game fails, your studio closes. Also, you're completely unemployed. Also, your business that you started is a failure. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you already you weren't making any money anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, you're, you're starting uh, over in life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Unity, like. How? It's much. <laughs> we can take the longer view on things, like you know. Um, Outlive everybody, yeah. Uh, hey guys, we got to cut back. No more steak. We're gonna <laughs> serve. We're still serving right. free food. No though, steak on steak. Wednesdays. Just exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The lobster fountain is shut off. <laughs> the lobster. We're, tr- <laughs> we're, tr- we're, tr- we're turning one of the wine taps to beer. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah, it's. Um, it's just a completely different order of magnitude of problem that you're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. So, like, when, if I wanted to completely rewrite a system in Firewatch, I could just do that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. no one could stop me mm-hmm. or would try to stop me whether or not it was a good okay. idea. Uh, in AAA, I would run it by a couple of guys, okay. you know? Like, I'd run it by Jeff and be like, hey, Jeff, does this make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. Uh, if I want to completely rewrite a system in Unity, that's going to be a discussion yeah. and it's going to be a discussion with extremely senior engineers that have doctorates and have been working in the engine for a million years and wrote thousands of lines of this code and know it better than I know anything. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take place over three continents and <laughs> it's going to take a month. Yeah. Um, it's going to be right at the end of it though, right. like provably right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have to step up your game, mm-hmm. um, but you're given the time and the space to do that. Um, in a way that is would just not happen yeah. in traditional games, and that's what because you don't have the time. That's that's the key thing. Like just talking to everybody about what makes a project successful or not is allowing the team to have time. Like, yeah. and you see this with the guys who stick together, and maybe not project one is a total success, but pro- same team, project two, project three. 
they just get better clicking with each other, get better solving problems and, you know, having more experience. Right. And it has to be that way where you're 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 you're, you're working with someone for a while. And the thing is, AAA, like you said, if this project fails, you know, people start leaving and the team is very hard to uh maintain the the morale maintain the the knowledge especially of what yep. and, and carrying that over to the new project same with indie right make it or break it type of moment i mean you might be two indie games away from being uh pokemon go <laughs> but yeah but that's the problem like you don't have enough funds to to get there and what's yeah. cool about it yeah, it's real hard yeah it takes really long to get to to that stage but with unity it's like all right what type we've of got, we've got a want? little bit of a buffer. <laughs> yeah. This is gonna take a while. All right, let's just talk over lunch. Figure this out. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. It's fine. it's fine. Sit up on the roof. Again. Yeah, it's a the the tech company has changed the landscape for the better. I think it's it's a model to look at, especially starting in the Bay Area. In my opinion, like it's time for game at least the big AAA companies to look at what a tech company. And how how they're yeah. run, and and take mm-hmm. note because you know things have to change. Triple A for a while until honestly, like the iPhone and when the indie um, community started to grow was on a decline of studios yeah. just shutting down, especially the PS3 era. It was like the worst era, in my opinion, of all the generations. Like just the budgets were being ballooned up. Uh, you know, too many risks, too many problems, uh, not enough time, and just studios couldn't handle that type of change. But, yeah. but thankfully, we're hitting a pivot, and I feel like we're much better than ever with way more resources, way more people. I think so. I mean, I think that we're we're getting a little bit of segmentation again. Mm-hmm. I think that the very top end of the AAA is getting more and more rarefied, mm-hmm. like. If I was, you know, how do you even start to compete with games like Destiny, right. like uh, Uncharted, yeah. you know, like like Horizon? Mm-hmm. I mean, that game is gorgeous. Um, it's really, really difficult uh, to yeah. know how to even start playing at that at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing a lot more movie tie-in games again. We're seeing a lot more partnership games again. Um, I think the back half of the like the beginning of the PS4 era and the Xbox One era, I agree with you. As we start pushing into like the PS4 Pro mm-hmm. and the Xbox One X, and people are like, companies are start having to make, just make models mm-hmm. that can be in UHD. Like that's expensive, mm-hmm. you know. Just generating those textures and generating those models and generating those special effects is going to become prohibitive pretty quickly. Um, so I think we're, we're I think we're probably going to have a little more contraction still. Mm-hmm. Um, at the t- same time, Steam seems to be really serious about solving some of their discoverability issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier than ever to make a game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get a lot of games out there that are like you know, uh, Rust or PUBG or oh, Ark Survival of All, those, like, those sort of like early access games. Mm-hmm. And like right now, those games are not like, – I don't love them, but the – polish on them keeps going up Mm -hmm. the fidelity on them keeps going up in a few years i think those are going to be like the next sort of double a studios you know what sort of i mean what honestly 2k marin was like well 
you know, what arcane is to a lesser degree, you know, like what's interesting about what we currently consider steam green light games or early access specifically PUBG, they just moved 4.5 million units. Mm-hmm. I, and it's not even out yet. Right? Like this no. is. I mean, early early access is a genre. It's not. Yeah, it's yeah. a genre and a business model. It doesn't. It doesn't Seriously. mean the game's not finished. Like, yeah. or, if you can pay money for the game, the game's out. And if the game is buggy and you paid money for it, that's kind of on you. Yeah. Like, I don't see why like the early access game is like given a pass. That's an excuse. Yeah, it's a. I, I want everything. It's to brilliant. Be early access. That's what it is. I want that branding on my game. Early access forever. <laughs> <laughs> right i just don't have to care about bugs this is amazing yeah. um i mean you know at the same time like i'm not gonna uh, you know big triple a games day one patches crashes on launch mm-hmm. you really shouldn't play a game till a week after it comes out like it's just kind of the whole industry right now right. it's yeah. it's hard to make an actually polished video right. game come out on time yeah. and there's not a lot of reason to like the market has not actually thrown a hissy mm-hmm. uh People complain on the internet like you wouldn't believe, but the money doesn't go away, yeah. so I guess people don't care that yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can type as which, fast as you can. My bank account will not change, right? <laughs> yeah, like it's it, which I don't love. I mean, like eventually yeah. we're probably doing real damage mm-hmm. to the game industry, but um, I understand why people have a hard time really caring if the money doesn't go away. <laughs> yeah, why leave early access? I, as far as I'm concerned, Player Nodes Battleground is a completed game. Yeah. I don't need them to fix anything. It's actually some of the bugs are kind of charming. Mm-hmm. You know, they they produce great clips on YouTube, and people love the damn game. It's so fun. They love it. The tension, you know, the like, oh my god! As soon as you start make to like the top twenty, top ten, top five, every moment of the game, you are on edge. I exactly, exactly. It's it's crazy. It's such a great feeling. Yeah, I can't handle it. I'm just like, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I'm just gonna hide. Okay. Well, speaking on uh, being on edge, so talking to these developers all the time, um, are there certain things that you see that stands out almost automatically? with your first reaction uh interaction either uh them using it for the first time either them using for a while like you said like uh unity is not really known for larger development teams like how has the uh addressing those problems been like um well it's kind of twofold Mm -hmm. uh a lot of it's just education so uh, how we start every project that we work with is we do what we call a spotlight review. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We get their game either by sending somebody out there or they send us the game. Hopefully they send us the game is preferred for sure. <laughs> um, and then I take a look at it and I see what they're doing and what their problems are. They tell me what their problems are. They tell me what their workflow is. I fire up their game. I look through it all. And then I give advice. And that's that ranges from like you know, top 10 unity tricks that you should know mm-hmm. that they just didn't know because there's a billion of those out there and half of them are wrong, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, including half the ones that we put out because it was, you know, unity four or five right. and it's the, the correct answer is wrong now. <laughs> um, the, and then a lot of it is, you know, 
okay, you have this crazy workaround for scene files or asset bundle loading or something. And it's like, have you tried just like breaking everything up into scenes and just additively loading them together? Right, right, right. And really few teams work that way from the word go because mm-hmm. it's just such a weird way of thinking about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of treating a scene file as like a Photoshop layer right, almost. Right. Where you're just you're gonna have a million of them, and you're just gonna load huge chunks of them all at once to make a single piece of game or single image. Right. Um, lots of people make really kind of lots of teams make mistakes that are mistakes of scaling, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they do a thing that works fine and is not wrong. Like I, you know, they're, they're, they're not doing anything stupid. They're not making mistakes. Uh, and then when they do, when they put all of their content together, it doesn't scale properly. So things like not optimizing game objects on the animators, like it's a weird checkbox that makes you do a bunch of extra work, and it doesn't seem to make any difference when you have one character on the screen. Mm-hmm. But what it's doing under the hood is it's removing a ton of game objects, mm-hmm. and it's allowing all of your animation update to thread mm-hmm. so that it can run off the main thread. Mm-hmm. So when you start having... 20, 30, 50, 120 animators, it makes an enormous difference. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, lots and lots and lots of milliseconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, 10, 15 milliseconds. Like a big deal. Right. Uh, and so it's things like that where they just, you know, the, the problems don't show up in test scenes. The problems don't show up when you're making the specific piece of content you're working on. The problem only shows up when you make a ton of content. And those are the problems that, you, like, Unity's great because you can just about Google every problem in Unity and get the Unity, like, the right answer. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Uh, in fact, if you just Google generic video game problems, you generally get the Unity answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like, if you're like, uh, how do I do, you know, baked lighting? You're going to get yeah. Unity results. Um, <laughs> the problem is that there's not a ton of teams out there that have really scaled up. Right, so until we have hundreds of teams out there that are making these giant games, they're not going to be writing those blog posts and those forum posts right. on the best practices right. for scaling up like that. Yeah. So we have to fill that gap, but we're not as quick as countless thousands of users, right. um, and it's really difficult to like filter up to the top of Google searches right. when you're just Unity as opposed to thousands of organic page views from yeah. all over the internet. <laughs> Um. So yeah, yeah that's a, that that tends to be most of the issues that we. That's find. a funny that's problem. Like, like AAA developers were so used to being secretive and ask nobody. You know, you can't even email your best friend at work. That type of shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so when you switch to something more open like Unity, where every question or answer is on the internet already, um. Being a AAA developer, you're used to the old ways, and so once you figure something out, they kind of keep it to themselves. <laughs> so, yep. and so we're trying to break this frontier of like bigger development on on Unity. It's just like, oh, just we gotta reinvent the the wheel every time, just figuring out something. No, that's 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 actually one of the things about Unity that uh, got me to join the company. Mm-hmm. Is like my dream as a game developer is to never, ever, ever ever have to write like camera code Mm -hmm. ever again (laughs) i just don't want to do it anymore i've done it a lot yeah i'm tired now 
I want the right answer to exist somewhere and for mm-hmm. it to be publicly available to everybody who's making video games mm-hmm. for every kind of school of camera and camera problem you could ever have. I just want it to be a solved problem. Yeah. Like, you know, nobody is having to figure out how to grind a lens for a video camera if they want to make a movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, nobody's having to, like, figure out how to set fonts anymore if they want to make a book. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I feel like that's where we're still at with video games mm. a lot of the times. Uh, and Unity's making that better. Uh, it's not solved, but it is making it better. And that's where I want to shoot for. I, I really want to shoot for, like, teams to be able to be focused on the creative content of their right. video games not the mechanical content of just making a video game exist in the first place yeah, um, yeah your game sucks because, just because you suck not because of the toy. <laughs> right, <laughs> i want to get exactly. to that point basically when, yeah. and i mean i also think that it's it's important because it's going to make it so that people who are not yeah, tech savvy like right now a video game is so hard to make right. that the only people that make video games are the people that fucking love video yeah. games. The people that are just like immersed in video game culture entirely. Um, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Like that's a real problem. Like it means we get a lot of samey video games. Right. It means we get a bunch of people that want to make the latest pack and slash game because they grew up playing Diablo. Right, right, right. And I love mm-hmm. Diablo. I don't mean, you know, I'm playing Diablo right now. Love Diablo. But what I want is for people that, you know, grew up not ever playing a video game have a story to tell Mm -hmm. have some life experience they want to share or some insight into the way the world works that they want to get across and they're like okay well what is the best way for me to do that i can write a book i can make a short film i could write a piece of music i could you know start a like band or whatever or i can make a video game Mm -hmm. and have those choices be you know approximately equally difficult like they require skill and dedication Mm -hmm. but not like one of them you have to learn how to play guitar and one of them you have to learn how to weave guitar strings from metal shavings Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) it's it's so true though man like when you explain it like that and i haven't even put the thought into it like but yes you're right even now when we start games at work when we start games on our own there's a lot of starting points that i don't have to worry about because i'm using unity or i'm using unreal but rewind the clock 10 15 years that wasn't the case Everything yeah, and, was a ground up. And while we're getting there, it's it's still it's still not there. Like you can't yeah. you can't really like I mean for certain genres you can and for certain mm-hmm. quality levels you can. I think Twine is actually a really great mm-hmm. example of this. Like if you want to make like just like a text adventure game, mm-hmm. you can just do that. Mm-hmm. Like that's it's just not any harder than writing the various choices. Like it's the the, the hard part is the writing, mm-hmm. not the making it a twang game mm-hmm. um and i think when we get there with you know like probably the next genre will be like survival games and walking simulators and then eventually we'll get there with any kind of systemic game you want like if you want to make a civilization that explores like you know a post needs society I want you to be able to do that as like a tiny dev team, mm-hmm. mostly focused on your creative content and balancing your systems, yeah. not save game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, lowering the technical barriers is just going to make the game industry as a whole better. Like when I was um, before college, right, deciding what to do with my life, I did not know. I didn't play games for 
my whole life, right? Before then, I did not know that game development was even a choice until a certain day, right? And even yeah. till now, maybe it's getting a little better, but it still feels like a secret that you can become a <laughs> game developer to a lot of these young yeah. kids. Um, even though it's like really accessible, everyone's playing it more. So the, the, the gamer and the game developer gap is so far and wide still that I feel it's kind of silly because the more people, the more creative people we get in there, the less technical barriers, the more ideas we get, you know, I feel like the lesser bad games will have, or at least the worser game development cycles will be because you're so you're not stuck with that one guy who only knows to do what that one thing and that's the choice and that's the option we have it's like no i'm just gonna go next door my neighbor makes a better game than you uh we're gonna call him in (laughs) and we're gonna have a discussion uh, because we have a lot of people who uh knows how to make games now right yeah so you know closing that gap definitely i feel uh will solve a lot of the issues that we're having now I think so. I I really do think so. And, you know, I'm like, I would love to get to a a place where you never see the forum post that's like, oh, lazy dev, why isn't there multiplayer? (laughs) Multiplayer would only take like two days. And it's like, that is, that is very wrong. That's so wrong. I don't even know where to start. Yeah. I think it helps. It helps if they understand our issues. Yeah. less complaints uh and the more people try to make video games the more people understand them it's gonna be good, gonna be good um, yeah. but we're still a long way from there but i think we're turning in the right direction um it does mean it's gonna be really hard to make a living making video games mm-hmm. uh it's sort of the the double-edged sword of this like uh, it, you know going back to the band metaphor like it's hard to make a living playing in a band mm-hmm. um and I, I, I do worry that we're going to get to that place with video games as well. Yeah, where, it's going to be very specific. You know, like you're either part of like some sort of AAA Hollywood mm-hmm. uh, professional insular gatekeeped uh, production world of video games or you're a garage band. Yeah, it sucks that <laughs> maybe it, you get lucky, yeah, maybe, yeah. but probably There's not. still still a weird divide, man. Like, the AAA developers and the indie developers know that each other exists, but there's very little interaction. Or they just feel like it feels kind of like a different species type of thing of developers. Yeah, it is. I mean, in a lot of ways, it is. Yeah. Like, I mean, for starters, because AAA developers can do things like, oh, we're gonna spend six months yeah. uh, making this whole like new animation motion right. matching thing. We got like five people dedicated entirely to doing that only for six months right. and the dev team is like, we have five people. Yeah. We have six months to make the whole video game. Yeah. Or so else we're we not gonna die. do that. <laughs> right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have six months before we literally run out of money and literally get evicted from our places. Yeah. And go. And go, yeah. <laughs> well gentlemen, uh, I hate to say this. But if we all look at our synchronized watches that we get out of the cereal box, we have been podcasting for over an hour. And so that means, sir, that Brandon and I are going to take a step back away from the microphone and give you an opportunity to talk directly to our audience and tell them something you're excited about, something you're working on that you're involved in or just want to raise awareness for. So without further ado, sir, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. Uh, I got two things I want to bring up. One is entirely selfish. Um, (laughs) Uh, me and my buddy Mark, uh, who I threw under the bus earlier in the podcast, uh, we're working on a board game oh, yeah. uh, right now. We're taking it to Gen Con. 
oh, show nice. off for the very first time. Uh, so if you happen to be at Gen Con, come check us out. We're at the First Exposure Playtest Hall. The name of the game is Diaspora Flight. Uh, it's a fun little card game about flying a spaceship to a new planet because the Earth has died. Mm-hmm. Really lightweight, really fun. Not Don't listen to the part about everybody dying. <laughs> um, the other side, completely altruistic. Um, I'm good friends with a lot of people on the Feminist Frequency Board. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sunita Sarkeesian, Tropes versus Video Games. They're doing amazing work uh, trying to get video games into a place that is less shitty. Um, They're doing an amazing, amazing job. If you have spare money, they're always taking donations. Uh, Feministfrequency.com. They're really, really good people. Uh, Please support them. It's a hard job trying to be the video game industry's conscience. (laughs) We don't like it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Please. Well, if there's nothing else to say, I'll be on my way. Larry Charles, I'm saying goodnight. This is Brandon Fab. See you, you guys next week. Thank you very much, Brandon. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay well. in touch or continue to follow yeah, our developments, Brandon. then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.